Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, in for Mina Kim. Coming up this hour, in the entire history of the United States, just two black women have ever been elected to the U.S. Senate. One was Kamala Harris, but when she left to become vice president, there were, once again, no black women in the Senate. Now, Oakland's Barbara Lee is running for Dianne Feinstein's seat, but like other black female candidates before her, Lee is facing considerable headwinds around things like fundraising and being taken seriously by political insiders and the media. This hour, we'll explore the barriers they face and what it takes to overcome them. That's next on Forum. Welcome to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, and today for Mina Kim. Well, the U.S. Senate has never been a model of diversity. It was a big deal, if you remember, back when California became the first state to elect two women senators in 1992. And there have only been two black women senators ever. And after Kamala Harris left to become vice president, there were none, and there are none today. East Bay Congresswoman Barbara Lee is hoping to become the third black woman elected to the Senate. She's running for Dianne Feinstein's seat, but Lee has a steep hill to climb, even though she's been a liberal icon for decades. And so this hour on Forum, we're looking at why the barriers for black women are so high for the Senate, the kinds of institutional biases that work against them and what it takes to overcome them. And we're going to begin with Shira Stein, Washington correspondent for the San Francisco Chronicle. Shira, good to have you with us. Thanks, Scott. Also joining is Amy Allison, founder and president of She the People. That's a national organization dedicated to building the political power of women of color. Amy Allison, good to talk to you. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Let me begin with you, Cher. I want to get, because so much of this is sort of predicated on the fact that, uh, you know, Dianne Feinstein, A, is not running again. B, uh, is having a very hard time doing her job because she's been uh, in decline for years now. Uh, And three, uh, Gavin Newsom has said he would appoint a black woman if 
uh, for some reason, Feinstein can't fulfill the rest of her term. So let me begin, Shira, by asking you, what is the state of Dianne Feinstein's health and her ability to do her job right now? Yeah, we found out some more information last week. You know, she she had gotten sick with shingles in um, mid-February, as I had had previously reported. Um, she was in California for almost three months, was unable to travel on a plane um, because of the shingles. We didn't know any information at the time about complications. Um, but last week, we finally learned that she had actually had encephalitis, um, had her brain swelling um, while she was in the hospital back in March, um, and then has been dealing with Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, which is characterized by the facial drooping that you can see in photos of her. And um, she has some hearing difficulties and some seeing difficulties as a result of that. Um, But things have been really uncertain for a while about her. Um, San Francisco Chronicle reported last year around some of her mental faculty issues, uh, mental acuity. So things regarding her health have been pretty locked down up until very, very recently. So it's it's not super clear like how she is doing right now. I've spoken to her a couple times, but it's still just, it's been brief, so it's been hard to tell. Yeah. And she used to be quite accessible. I mean, she was known for stopping in the hall and talking to reporters. In terms of showing up, I mean, the main reason Democrats wanted her back there is that they needed her vote on the Judiciary Committee in particular uh, to get some of those judicial nominees to the floor of the Senate. How present has she been uh, in committee hearings and on the on the floor uh, when when that time is needed? Yeah, since she's been back, she has showed up when she is needed. But if it's if it's not something that's controversial, if it's a nominee they expect to pass easily, then she may not show up for that vote um, on the floor or in committee. But so far, she has been very much being there when she is needed, as Democrats and the Senate Judiciary Chairman Dick Durbin have requested of her. Yeah. And of course, she was uh, elected to the Senate in 1992, the so-called Year of the Woman, which came on the heels of the Clarence Thomas nomination and confirmation hearings, Anita Hill, and so on. And of course, those hearings, which we haven't had in a while now, but you know, those go on for hours and hours and hours uh, with lots of questions and back and forth and breaks. I mean, do you have a sense of if that kind of presence were needed from Senator Feinstein, could she do that? Mm, I'm not sure that she could. Um, I think, you know, she she does her best, but, you know, she shows up for Senate Judiciary Committee hearings when it comes to voting for nominees. But they have other kinds of hearings other than confirmation hearings. Um, they hold hearings on things like tech and social media and AI and, I don't know, other legal issues that involve the judiciary. And those, for quite a while, she hasn't traditionally shown up to those hearings and questioned witnesses. So I I think maybe if there was another Supreme Court um, judicial nominee, she would show up for her own questioning for that five minutes she gets and then maybe leave and watch the rest from her office. Hmm. Amy Allison, listening to that, uh, what goes through your mind in terms of both her, you know, Feinstein's service, which is distinguished in many ways, but also, uh, you know, the consequences of her inability to do a full 100 percent job as a U.S. senator representing California? I share a concern I've heard from a lot of Californians that, uh, you know, we haven't had full representation in terms of Senator Feinstein, for some time as she becomes more and more infirm. And uh, uh, she does have a distinguished career, but uh, I think a lot of us are realizing we're just about at that point for a hard conversation around changing of the guard. And 
uh, a conversation about how our great state of California in this time, a really critical need where the urgency around voting rights and abortion rights and climate change and other, you know, gun violence and those things which are going to head to the, 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 the Senate are going to be uh, determined by our representatives and our majority in the Senate, Democratic majority in the Senate. We actually need uh, a senator who uh, not only does what's minimally required, but uh, who is uh, willing and able to do everything that they can with all their time and uh, facilities. And so I think we're at that moment to think about how Californians are best represented in D.C., Another way to say that is it's time for her to resign. Is that what you're saying? You support what Ro Khanna uh, and a few other Democrats in Washington have said, that it, she really does need to step down? I was very concerned when she wasn't in D.C. for three months. I mean, the, the Senate, the, it's interesting because a lot of us look at the whole, the whole, the fact that California, where millions and millions of people have two representatives, a lot is riding on the fact that we have two senators representing us. We're states who are much, much smaller in terms of population, in terms of economic power, um, have also two. That's the way that the system works. It really a lot depends on having two uh, senators there uh, fighting with and for Californians full time. So I was very concerned when she was absent. Uh, I, uh, you know, my organization was uh, not only supporting some of those judiciary uh, nominees that you've mentioned earlier, but Julie Su, who would be the first Asian American labor secretary whose nomination was held up because Senator Feinstein wasn't present in the judiciary, that she's a Californian. She's a, a, a very important leader that would be part of the Biden administration as a leader. And her nomination confirmation was being held up. So I saw many reasons to be concerned. So uh, it isn't just a call for, you know, a resignation that is out of context. It's a, it's it's asking Californians to to really say, look, uh, we know that Senator Feinstein's not running for re-election. The question is, at this moment, uh, does it make most sense for Californians to have a part-time senator? And that's really a hard question that we have to ask ourselves and really ask the senator and her staff. And Shira, um, I know that the reason, as I said earlier, Democrats were really urgently wanting her back was to vote on those judges in particular. She did, and she, she asked Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, to please allow some another Democrat to take her place. Republicans would not allow that, uh, which I guess that's the way the Senate works. Um, but let me ask you, if she were to resign uh, and, and, and you know another senator would be appointed by Governor Newsom, could Republicans stop Democrats from putting anyone new on there, even if Senator Feinstein weren't there anymore. Yeah, they absolutely could. The way that Senate rules work is it requires 60 votes. Democrats have 51, including um, some independent senators who typically caucus with them. So they would need Republican support. And Republican senators have been very clear that they don't want to help Democrats elect what they see as two, judges that are too liberal. Um, there was actually a opinion, uh, to, uh, I think it was an opinion piece out today, where former Secretary of State, former presidential candidate Hillary Clinton said the same thing, that, you know, if she, if Senator Feinstein did decide to step down, it wouldn't necessarily fix that issue. I mean, the thing that I think about when it comes to this is how often are we going to have the the work that the Senate is doing 
Um, the work that Senator Feinstein's staff is trying to do, the work of the state of California, derailed by, you know, new news stories about her health or about her inability to show up. Um, I think that's going to be a really hard question over the next year and a half is, is how often are things derailed by her illness and her absence? Well, we've seen Republicans be more than willing to play hardball on issues like this. And I'm wondering, you said that, uh, you know, Republicans could stop uh, Mitch McConnell from appointing a new senator. Uh, couldn't they just change that? Uh, you know, the, I mean, certainly we saw Mitch McConnell uh, prevent Merrick Garland from even getting a hearing uh, when Scalia died. And then we saw, you know, Amy Coney Barrett kind of rushed through right before the election in 2020. So couldn't the Democrats just sort of do the same thing and say, look, we're going to change the rules and we are going to put a new senator on that committee. Yeah, and I think you meant to say um, Chuck Schumer. But yes, I they could. So um, there's a thing called the filibuster. I think a lot of people are familiar with it because it's been used in terms of Supreme Court nominees in the past and some other judicial nominees. They could remove the filibuster for these sorts of procedural measures like sitting a senator on a committee. Um, but to do that, they would need the support of some of the more independent members of their caucus. So that's folks like Senator Kirsten Cinema from uh, Arizona and Senator Joe Manson from West Virginia. And so it's not at all a certain thing that Democrats could remove that filibuster um, to seat a new Democrat on judiciary. Yeah, we're, we're coming up on a break and I'm going to let you go, Shira, in a minute. Uh, but before I do that, there have been reports, I think perhaps in the Chronicle, uh, that Nancy Pelosi's daughter, Nancy Corinne Prouder, has been uh, helping Senator Feinstein get through this, this very difficult time. Is there a sense, as some have said, that that's in part because Pelosi doesn't want Feinstein to leave because she's endorsed Adam Schiff in that race for the U.S. Senate. I I think that's a little bit blown out of proportion. A little Machiavellian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great word. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Nancy Corrine, Nancy Pelosi's eldest daughter, is not involved in politics. She is like the least active um, political child that you could probably find out there. She doesn't like to talk to the press. And so, and she's been friends with Senator Feinstein for about 40 years. I mean, the two yeah. families right. knowing each other in San Francisco. So it's so, just, yeah. yeah, a little more, not so much to that, maybe, perhaps. Okay, we're going to let you go. Thank you so much, Shira Stein, Washington correspondent for the San Francisco Chronicle. Amy Allison is going to stick around for the rest of the hour, and we'll be joined by somebody else. And we want to hear from you. What are your thoughts about this situation with Diane Feinstein? What do you think of Newsom, Governor Newsom's promise to appoint a black woman to fill the seat? Give us a call, please, at 866-733. 866-733-6786. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour for Mina Kim. And we're talking about the obstacles black women must overcome as they seek to win seats in the U.S. Senate and what lessons can be learned from recent campaigns. Uh, We're joined by Amy Allison, founder and president of She the People, and we're going to bring another guest in in a moment, but I want to play a short bit of a conversation I had recently with Sherry Beasley, who is the former uh, state Supreme Court chief justice in North Carolina. She was the Democratic nominee for the Senate in 2022. She lost a close vote to the Republican Ted Budd, and I asked her about some of the barriers she faced as a black woman running for the Senate in North Carolina. I think the perception is always that the U.S. senator is a white man. That is the presumption, and then we work from there. And certainly, um, African-American women have a more difficult time uh, raising funds, putting together a, a campaign team, and being perceived as being a truly viable candidate. And one of the things I found throughout my race, even as I overperformed every single other candidate, Democrat and Republican, was that there was always this prevailing question, but can she win? Can she win? Sherry Beasley, a former North Carolina Supreme Court Chief Justice, who almost won, came very close in that North Carolina Senate race. And we're going to talk about uh, what happened there and more. Uh, and we're joined now by Kimberly Ellis. She is director of the San Francisco Department on the Status of Women, also former executive director of Emerge California, which trains women uh, to run for office. Kimberly Ellis, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, I want to just first get Amy Allison's thoughts on what you heard from Sherry Beasley. And, uh, I, you know, a lot to unpack there. But beginning with that question of viability, can she win? And I think we're hearing some of that echoed in the race with uh, the U.S. for the U.S. Senate here in California with Barbara Lee, right? Yeah, I've been actively involved in electoral politics for the last decade, uh, supporting Black women candidates who are running both in primary and the general, like Sherry Beasley, for the Senate. And this is what I know for sure. What Sherry Beasley said is absolutely true. The first thing that helps determine um, whether a Black woman gets the money, gets the support, gets the belief, uh, is the buzz around who she is. And that the belief that or the, just the fact that there aren't black women senators in the back of people's minds creates a bias that works against people investing in and um, and uh, talking about the electability, the viability, the leadership, the, the, the governance approach, uh, who this leader is speaking with and for. And I know in, in the case of Sherry Beasley's race in North Carolina, uh, where uh, you know, you had the Democratic Party and PACs and other entities who moved literally billions of dollars in political money in the 22 midterm cycle, who were flooding uh, the uh, the states of Pennsylvania and even Ohio for the Senate race uh, candidates there who were white men, but not fully investing in North Carolina, even though Sherry Beasley, for example, won statewide twice. So the buzz and the belief first and foremost limits the political possibilities for women of color. And that's the thing that uh, we need to address head on right now. 
And, and Kimberly Ellis, uh, you know, as we just heard from Amy, uh, Sherry Beasley did run and win statewide in North Carolina. But it does seem that the higher you reach, if you're a black woman um, or any person of color, really, the higher you reach and, and Senate, I think you'd have to say, is in, it's a national office as opposed to a state office, that those barriers get higher. Is that your uh, understanding? And if so, why? Absolutely. And the reason why is is it goes back to what both Amy and Sherry um, reference. I'll put a finer point on it. It's the institutional racism and sexism that is unfortunately woven into almost every aspect of our society, including and especially what leadership looks like and the perception of what leadership looks like. And you know, Amy just talked about the importance of the buzz around candidates. That's absolutely right. And again, just to to um, drill down and put a finer point on things, in order for Black women to run and win successfully um, and to get over these hurdles, we got to do a better job of uh, putting our money where our mouth is with respect to our value of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Understanding that reflective democracy will not happen on its own. um, and, And so we need to invest in that. So what that means very specifically is the Democratic Party and all of the uh, sort of um, pieces and parts of that institution need to get in the game early and signal to everybody that this is their candidate. That's the party. That's um, uh, entities like labor organizations. That's donors um, and PACs and other um, entities with political money to get in and to signal to the rest of the ecosystem uh, that they're putting their money behind black women. You ran for the Democratic Party chair here in California. You lost to Rusty Hicks, who is a white man. He was backed by labor. Did you feel or what what role did you feel that race played in that particular campaign? Well, um, it, it, it played a, a significant role in that campaign and uh, in my first campaign for chair as well in 2017, um, as did gender. Again, when people think about what does leadership look like, what does the the leader of the largest, most powerful, most influential state party in the nation look like um, in, uh, you know, 20, 2019, um, even here in progressive, blue, pro-woman uh, California, uh, that's the reputation that we have, um, there's still a knee-jerk sort of reaction and a default to um, to ascribe a white, male, heteronormative uh, individual uh, to those roles. And so I personally uh, encountered both sexism and racism, not from with, uh, from Republicans or not from outside, but from within our house, if you will, within the Democratic Party of people not even being, um, um, you know, sort of uh, covert about it, but in my face, like you are not, you know, you are not, you know, one, this is not your role. This is not your place. Uh, to be running for this even, let alone serving in it. So we still have a lot of work to do, even here in California. Well, when you think of your race races for uh, party chair or Sherry Beasley's campaign or Val Demings, who ran in Florida for the U.S. Senate against Marco Rubio and outraised him, by the way, uh, I'm wondering, how do you separate out the bias that comes from race versus the bias that comes from gender? 
Which well, we don't even bother to try. Yeah, <laughs> don't even try. There, but in, in my in my respect, uh, they, they both the result the end result is the same. And I think back to uh, what Shirley Chisholm said, uh, who is uh, one of my sheroes, was a, a mentor, of course, of uh, Barbara Lee, who I am very very hopeful will be our next U.S. senator here in California. But she said she uh, she believed that she was more uh, uh, hindered by her gender than her race. Uh, so it, it also makes me think of when um, uh, Secretary Clinton, Hillary Clinton, ran for office. Um, the idea that sexism is more pervasive than racism in this country is a hard one to to try to sort of wrap our brains around. But it is. And part of it is that sexism doesn't just um, manifest uh, in men. Um, it also manifests in the internalized misogyny and sexism that women uh, have sort of um, internalized and bought into. And so unlearning that and un you know sort of ringing that bell is also a process that we uh, you know are working through in this country we're talking about the obstacles black women have to overcome as they seek to win seats for the u.s senate in particular uh, but also governor's seats i mean that's you could say in really anything but we're talking this hour about the senate and what lessons can be learned from some of these recent campaigns my guests are kimberly ellis director of the san francisco department of the status of women, former executive director of Emerge California, which trains women to run for office, and Amy Allison, founder and president of She the People. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. What do you think of uh, you know the obstacles black women in particular face when they're running for these offices? What should Governor Newsom do? How should he fulfill his promise to appoint a black woman if Feinstein can't finish her term? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. And in that regard, a listener comments, I suspect that if Governor Newsom lined up retired Judge LaDoris Cordell to step in for Feinstein and offered that to the senator, she would agree. Um, You know, I don't know if people know LaDoris Cordell. She's a very powerful woman, former judge, uh, has been very involved in police reform down in the South Bay. But Amy Ellison, you know, that issue of, well, would he be, you know, keeping his promise if he appointed someone who was, say, a caretaker? Now, I don't know if LaDoris Cordell would want to run or just fill the time out of the rest of her term. But what are your thoughts about that as the governor saying, "Okay, I've checked that box. I've appointed fill in the blank, a black woman who isn't going to run for the seat? Well, it's worth remembering that the governor uh, made a pledge to appoint a black woman if Senator Feinstein resigned. And um, when he pledged to nominate a black woman to the Senate in 2021, I said it was a game changer because the commitment was incredible and long overdue. But this isn't the time for a half commitment or a half measure. Uh, Barbara Lee is the natural choice because she's represented Californians for uh, a quarter of a century, t- 25 years. She knows D.C. She's ready to uh, to work on day one. Um, and, you know, there are lots of amazing uh, Black women leaders in the state of California. But Barbara Lee is the natural choice. She's the former head of the uh, Congressional Black Caucus, Congressional Progressive Caucus. And um, she has, you know, lots of endorsements. She's got the support of uh, Congressman Clyburn, for example, the kingmaker out in South Carolina and others. So I think, you know, the talk about a, a caretaker is one of the ways that 
the buzz, it's like a buzz kill, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, when we, t- when, when the, our other center, Center Padilla, the, the discussion about appointing him, uh, we were having that discussion, no one floated the idea of this kind of half measure of a, you know, a temporary. And what I find is the buzz around black women, and there's all these exceptions. And what we're saying is for a leader, for black women to be in the Senate, this is the time to fully support uh, there's a black woman, a very respected black woman in the race, uh, to fully uh, support her, uh, you know, uh, and if the opportunity arose, appoint her and then support her reelection. I will just quickly say something remarkable happened this week. Uh, Senator Carper out of Delaware announced his retirement two days ago. Um, and in his retirement speech, he did something I have never heard any senator do. He said, I talked to Lisa Blunt Rochester, who's Delaware's only congresswoman. She's a black woman, uh, comes from uh, Joe Biden's home state, of course. And he said, I've asked her to run for the seat. And I told her, please give me the privilege of supporting you. I've never heard a, a, a retiring senator give that much political weight to a black woman on his way out. That's the kind of grace and support we're going to need uh, from essentially white men who are in power right now in order for black women to have a, a seat at the table. Yeah. Kimberly Ellis, how would you apply that notion to California and the race here for the U.S. Senate? Yeah, no, just to just to go back to what Amy said, uh, what Senator Carper did was remarkable. And uh, it, we need a lot more Senator Carpers uh, in this country. And as it relates to what's going on here in California, uh, my my position is that the concept that we cannot appoint Barbara Lee because we need a caretaker um, is really a false narrative. And it's one that they've been weaving uh, hard and fast to try to get everyone to buy into that. But the reality is, if Barbara Lee was appointed to that seat, there would be no race. So the idea that you're giving an advantage uh, to someone in a race is a, is a false narrative in my in, in my perspective, because the way that our party operates and the way that our party demands that delegates and others who are a part of the party operate, and I know this firsthand, is that you fall in line. There would be no race. Barbara Lee is the incumbent. And so the race, therefore, should be over if we are going off of history and the way that it has operated before. So the idea that we now need to change the, the, the game, the way the game is played, is a false narrative in my, in, in my perspective. And it is an excuse for not doing the right thing. And the right thing is to appoint a woman who is a battle-tested warrior who has been serving this community and the broader uh, constituency of California for decades. She has served uh, honorably. She is uh, uh, respected by uh, all corners of the state, and she deserves uh, to be our next senator from California. Well, let me push back on that idea that the, everybody should fall in line, whether it's you know for Barbara Lee or anyone else. I mean, shouldn't the voters have a choice? I mean, a say in this? I mean, what's wrong with, let's say she were to be appointed uh, and to fill out the rest of the term and to run for the full six-year term? I mean, why shouldn't voters be entitled to a robust conversation that includes Barbara Lee, the senator, you know, and anyone else, whether it's Adam Schiff and Katie Porter or anybody else who decides they, they want to run? Kimberly? Absolutely. The vo- absolutely. The voters have a have a voice and should be given an opportunity, as was the case, uh, as Amy pointed out, 
with U.S. Senator uh, Alex Padilla, um, who, again, had to put his name on the ballot and go before the voters and go up against the people who were who were also running for that seat. The same would be the same situation with with Barbara Lee. So absolutely, uh, the voters get an opportunity and deserve to be able to uh, to choose. Um, And also, we should be thinking about what is in the best interest of California and of this nation. And I just have to say that here we stand on the other side of Roe v. Wade, where women's right to choose in this country has been ripped from us. And California's response to that is to replace two female senators with two male senators. I reject that uh, notion outright. And so, again, this is a great opportunity for California to do what California should be doing in every respect, and that is leading and signaling that we believe in Black women, we trust Black women, we're going to put our money where our mouth is, we're going to invest in Black women, and appoint Barbara Lee to that Senate seat. All right. I want to bring our listeners in again, the number to call if you want to join us and weigh in on this issue, either the barriers against black women or the idea of uh, Senator Feinstein stepping down and who would replace her. Give us a call at 866-733-6786. And let's go to San Francisco. And Paul, you're first. Yes, thank you. Uh, I'm a third generation Californian, lifelong Democrat, and 74 years old. My problem with with Barbara Lee is not her race, not her gender, but her age. And we've got to maybe run into the same problems we've had with these other senators, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. And remember, too, Mr. Newsom might want to run for president, and he does not want to appoint somebody to the Senate who is too far left. And I think that will be in a consideration to Mr. Newsom's mind. All right. Thanks very much for that. And I should say we are coming up to a break. But that question of age, uh, Nancy, uh, one of our listeners wrote, I, an 80-year-old woman, will not support Barbara Lee in the primary because of her age. Now that it renders her ipso facto incompetent, not that not that it renders her ipso facto incompetent, but because it is time for a new generation to govern. We are coming up on a break, but Amy, if you could quickly comment, we can come back and talk about it more. But that notion of, yeah, let's let some younger people get in there. We started this conversation talking about the ways in which supporting Black women leadership uh, gives rise to a bunch of like exceptions for Black women's leadership, including this whole conversation around age. I'm assuming the two people who gave comments are going to be calling for Feinstein to resign because of her age and infirmity. But, you know, honestly, having a Black woman in the, in the Senate does represent a new generation. Um, Barbara Lee, Barbara Lee is a black woman. The black black women are the key vote for any Democrat to win state uh, nationally. Okay, Amy, hold that thought. Hold that thought if you would. Sorry to interrupt, but we do have to take a break. Uh, And we're going to continue the conversation with Amy Allison and Kimberly Ellis. And we'd like to have you join us as well. 866-733-6786. Or you can reach us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer here for Mina Kim. We have a lot more to talk about. We hope to join that you'll join us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour from Mina Kim. We're talking about the barriers faced by black women who run for the Senate. Uh, We've only had two elected in the entire history of the U.S., Kamala Harris being one of them who left, of course, to become vice president. Give us a call if you'd like to weigh in, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. We've got some listener comments here. Uh, Raquel writes... I think he, the governor, ought to consider other people of color as well who are woefully underrepresented in government leadership roles. Uh, Amy Allison, I know that uh, you know you advocate in general for more political power for women of color, whether they be Latina, Asian American, API, whatever. But uh, there does there is this void right now, right? Uh, and and, I'm, and I guess my question is, why a black woman? Why not another woman of color? Why is it so important? What's missing in the in the debate in Washington? Black women are incredibly important. Look, I'm people who are listening to the show, uh, most of us here in the Bay Area in California, um, share common values. Most of us are in the Democratic Party or to the left of center. Um, understand how important Black women are. Looked at the 2020 election, how Black women in states like Georgia uh, organized and turned out and really were responsible for taking America back from the brink, and to whom America's going to turn to in just a few months uh, when uh, the presidential election and House election, Senate elections come up, and ask again, uh, because this group of most reliable Democrats, uh, some of the most progressive uh, you know, uh, people uh, in this country, um, come in and show their political strength. And so black women are not to be underestimated, but they're also very, very important leaders. For black women to be missing from the Senate is a travesty in this moment because of the threats to our freedom, to our uh, liberties, to our democracy. And that we have to really ask ourselves, who can we trust? Who do we want to be fighting with us? And who showed up? Over the last five years, during the Trump years, during these challenge years of McConnell, who has showed up time and time again, not only on behalf of black women, but on behalf of Americans. So um, it's very important. I think we have an opportunity here in California. We also have an opportunity in the state of Delaware. We have an opportunity in Maryland. We may end up in a year and a half with three black women senators, which would be very exciting. It doesn't mean, though, it's not a, it's not a uh, uh, it's not the kind of game, and I want everyone to hear this because California is a very diverse state, um, a multiracial democracy, which California is at the leading edge of building, is not about one group wins and another group loses. This is about making room in, our, in a new conception of representative democracy in which all groups have a place on every, every level of government. 
And so black women aren't in the Senate right now. I'm advocating for and helping black women. She, the people will also help other representative groups. And I think it's all important um, as we as we go forward this year and, and in future election cycles. Here's a comment from a listener who writes, my only issue with Barbara Lee as a senator is that I would lose her as my district representative. This age argument is so strange to me because there are so many old white men who are senators. Why is this an issue for uh, this particular, you know, woman and for others, um, you know, there, there are a lot of issues, I guess, and, and that sort of come out of the woodwork, uh, if you will, uh, Kimberly Ellis, uh, that don't necessarily get brought up in other races. Um, and, I'm, and I'm wondering, you know, this, this idea of buzz, you know, creating a buzz and the question of viability and which consultants can you attract? How does that, how does that play out in this, you know, political ecosystem that we're describing? Yeah, that that plays out considerably. And again, that 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 is influenced by uh, the unconscious biases, if you will, that 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 are played out in some of these questions. You know, I was just listening to some of the the comments you shared before about, you know, uh, Governor Newsom perceiving her to be too far uh, to to the left, and 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 his interest in running for uh, president, perhaps. You know, f- from my perspective, that is um, one of the main reasons why we as a party uh, lose when we should be winning. Uh, we're not as strategic as we should be. Quite frankly, you want and 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 also, what does too far left mean? Are we talking about someone who um, who? prioritizes people and our planet over profits? Are we talking about someone who has a stellar record with respect to fighting for poor people, people of color, um, um, women, students, uh, the only person to stand up against the war? Is that what we are talking about when we when we talk about too far left? So I, I think to the point that someone else made about just sort of these false narratives or excuses um, it, it, to not support a black woman, the tenets of anti-blackness are deep and pervasive, and they manifest in different ways. And so, the, the concept that she's too old again it, it, it is it's baffling. And so, to the person that talked about we need a new generation to lead, I'm just curious: are they talking about the George Santoses, the Lauren Boberts, the 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 Marjorie Taylor Greens? Is that what we're talking about when we talk about the younger generation? Because I can name several forty-something-year-olds uh, uh, or younger who are in Congress right now serving who should not be there um, at all. And so, when we talk about the buzz and the and the um, the energy behind candidates that is needed to secure top level uh, campaign operatives, to secure uh, strategists and uh, and what have you, fundraisers. Um, we need, again, the Democratic Party institution, the party, labor, leadership, donors to get behind these candidates often and early in the same way that Senator Tom Carper did to clear the way and to make it easier for, for black women and other women of color who have historically started at strategic disadvantages because of the institutional racism, sexism, and anti-blackness uh, that is in this country. It's in California, and it's even within our own Democratic Party. All right, I'm going to bring in our listeners again. The number to call, 866-733-6786. Let's go up now to Inverness in Marin and Margot. Welcome. Yes, thank you. I wanted to add one thing to support Amy's point that we need Barbara Lee as the appointee. She was my representative for the 10 years that I worked in, worked and lived in Oakland. 
And she was the only voice, the only voice in the United States representatives of all of the houses who said after 9-11, no, going to war is not the thing to do. She was the only voice for sanity. And I think particularly in the last 20 years, the issue of America going insane with bigotry, racism, misogyny, like just a very distorted understanding of the world has been the cause of many of the economic and political problems that we're facing right now. And so Barbara Lee, as that voice of sanity in the United States, is the most important person to point to that seat. And I think Amy gave a really great uh, point that You know, she's appointed to the seat, and then when the election comes around, just like Padilla, she faces whoever it is, and the voters get to choose. But the issue of sanity is something that's too much overlooked as the main problem with American voters. Yeah, thanks, Margo, for that. Amy Allison, it's interesting, uh, as uh, Margo points out, Barbara Lee was the only vote in the entire Congress against giving President George W. Bush the right to go to war after 9-11. And since then, you know, she I mean, she was really out on a ledge by herself. But since then, a lot of people, including some Republicans, have come around to feel that she she was right. Yeah. You know, I really appreciate your comments, Margo, because uh, I I was with a lot of constituents here. I live in Oakland supporting Barbara Lee in the wake of that vote. Remember, she had to have private security and people attacked her, but she stood strong. The thing about Barbara Lee and the stand she took in 2001 against unchecked presidential power at a time when it was very difficult to do so was that she was prescient. She showed leadership and vision and strength at a time when, um, you know, the country was going crazy with with war uh, in in post 9-11. And um, she knew something that the rest of the country took 20 years to figure out, which is that it's not smart in a democracy to give unchecked presidential powers, war-making powers. And just in this last year, she was uh, vindicated. I mean, um, the Afghanistan war and the Iraq war now has been shown to be predicated on lies. Barbara Lee was correct. When you go to the Senate, you have to have very strong sense of what the democracy needs to be about and foreign policy. And often in this whole conversation about who should be representing California, you got to understand and really appreciate the role that Barbara Lee played at a time when it mattered most to represent California and represent the country on the national stage. And I I agree that moment, uh, which uh, I think the documentary that came out a couple years ago uh, about her life really really brings us back to that moment uh, and introduces it to a new generation. That that was such an important moment for a lot of us because it showed what was possible um, in terms of leadership and. You know, that's why, you know, you know, here at Oakland, people still say Barbara Lee speaks for me. It's not it's not just a slogan for some people. They're like they really believe that that's what's possible to have a sense, you know, somebody who's representing them in D.C. That's what it could look like. Yeah. All right. Margo, thanks so much for the call. Uh, Louise writes, I disagree with the Lee supporter who claims there would be others falling in line to support her in the general election. I didn't feel there was much choice when Padilla was actually elected. Too much coronation when where California politics is concerned. And, you know, I would, um, Kimberly, also, I, th- that's true. I mean, you know, no one really ran, no credible Democrat ran against Alex Padilla. So it, it does, in a sense, take the choice away. I'm um, not saying it was a bad appointment, but um, it does sort of like freeze the field in a way, doesn't it? 
And again, that's my point exactly. <laughs> I, I didn't build the, the system. I'm just telling you how it operates. And so, again, if we want to talk about changing the system, that's a whole other conversation. But the way in which our party operates, the way in which we sort of get Democrats elected is when there is a, a candidate who is the Democratic Party endorsed candidate, and certainly if it's an incumbent, then that is who the Democratic Party writ large gets behind and supports. And so it was true. It has been true uh, uh, for eons and eons up until this point, including and especially with Alex Padilla. And so what I'm saying is, if, 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 if Barbara Lee were appointed to this seat and were the Democratic Party incumbent, um, then that is the way that the party opera- operation, apparatus, apparatus, has operated. And so, yes, there would still be candidates who would be, um, you know, open to run for that uh, if they wanted to, and the voters would get the final say-so. But the way that our party machine operates is when there is a Democratic Party, a Democratic-endorsed candidate uh, for our party, and they are an incumbent, um, then that is who the party moves its money, its resources, um, and uh, and its foot soldiers behind. So uh, that's all I'm saying is that's the way that the structure is today. Uh, and why should it be any different for Barbara Lee? And I just want to go back to something that Amy if said. If you could hold, I think, hold just one yeah. moment, because I need to just say that w- you're listening to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer in for Mina Kim. Uh, finish the thought, if you would. Sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah, no worries. I just wanted to go back to what Amy was saying about Barbara Lee having been so uh, prescient in, in the moment so so long ago, and she was right then, and she's the right person now uh, for this job in this moment that we find our, ourselves in. Black women have oftentimes had a very strong sense of morality coupled with courage and a uh, an alignment for justice for everyone. And when Black women... Um, serve in office, they don't just take care of the black community, they bring everyone along. And there was a comment made earlier around why a black woman, why not other women of color or people of color? And let me just remind us that in our United States Senate today, there are Latinas serving. There are uh, um, women from the AAPI community serving. There are members of the LGBTQ community serving, but there are no black women serving. And when we think about what black women have meant and done for this country and for our democracy, whether it was in 2018, we provided the backstop to Donald Trump uh, in the midterms, or whether it was 2020, when we literally snatched this country from the jaws of death, also known as Donald Trump, um, and also saved the Senate and also saved another special Senate seat in Georgia. Um, And what we did in 2022, along with the youth vote, and provided a backstop to the red wave. Black women have continued to get the job done and to close the deal, uh, not just for ourselves, but oftentimes for others um, and, 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 and for this nation, oftentimes at our, own, um, at our own peril. And so that's why we need a Black woman now. That's why we need Barbara Lee now. All right. Let's go back to the phones. And Catherine in Menlo Park, welcome. Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, to, the, to the issue of age and someone younger, I, I, I uh, totally support what was said about we all have lots of examples of younger people. Um, it's really more important uh, to have role models for young people coming up. Um, if they can see someone of color, of their gender, 
um, of their of their political views and their community representing them, um, then we're more likely to inspire them to um, to take roles like this in the future. And I've I seen it not only in politics but in Silicon Valley, where I worked for many years. That um, you know we, we're lacking role models. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, yeah Catherine, thank you for that. Um, and, you know, one role model that, uh, you know, young women, women of color and anybody else has is Kamala Harris, uh, who, of course, was the U.S. senator from California until she and Joe Biden got elected in 2020. And I'm wondering, you know, in light of all these barriers, Amy, uh, Amy Allison, why, why did Kamala Harris win? I mean, what did she overcome and why her? Listen, this is the state <laughs> of California. This is the state of California. There's 39 million of us. We're a diverse state. We're the most progressive state. And um, we're, you know, we're the fourth largest economy in the world. And Kamala Harris uh, is in the political Democratic Party uh, group that can harness these uh, attributes. She, as a Black and Asian woman, who um, leverages the diversity, her connection to our diverse community, access to resources and the political infrastructure, and just the powerhouse that California is, was the secret sauce. But the secret, but the thing is, electorally, we are still learning. I'm learning about how women of color, um, despite the fact, as Kimberly said, you know, the system wasn't built for any of us um, uh, women of color uh, to hold offices, let alone in the Senate. Uh, but that we have to figure out how to use a system or to adjust uh, ourselves and build new pathways through to leadership. And Kamala Harris built a pathway and we advocated and, and look, now we have the first woman in the White House and Kamala Harris in, in the White House as VP. And we believe that California can do that again because we know that what, that's what it looks like to the common to the last caller. But the path, the path to uh, leadership is going to look uh, differently as we learn more lessons. Yeah. What we learned, what we learned this week in Delaware is when a retiring senator like Carper, Senator Carper, blesses a black woman, the path is clearer for her. She's going to face a self-funded uh, uh, candidate that has putting fifty yeah. million dollars, and we know what that is. Uh, so it's not an easy path. It's not given to her, but yeah. it's making it easier. Well, it'll be easy. Same and it'll be in interesting Maryland. to watch. Yeah, in Maryland as well as uh, as Delaware, and then right here in California. I'm, I'm so That's sorry right. we, we could talk for a lot longer, but we can't because we're out of time. But I want to thank all of our guests this hour, uh, Amy Allison, founder and president of She the People, Kimberly Ellis, director of the San Francisco Department on the Status of Women, and earlier in the hour, Shira Stein. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. This Hour of Forum is produced by Caroline Smith and Grace Wan. Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer, and Susie Britton is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willer, Jim Bennett, and Christopher Beale. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Ryanger. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kern. And I'm Scott Schaefer, in for Mina Kim. Thanks so much for listening. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.